Our scripture lesson this morning is found in the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, the 19th through the 31st verses. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands and Reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Bob Woods tells the story of a couple who took their son, age 11, and their daughter, 7, to Carlsbad Caverns. How many of y'all have been to Carlsbad Caverns? Let's see your hands. Okay, then you know what happened when they got to the deepest and darkest part of the cavern. When they reached that point, the guide turned off all the lights to dramatize how completely dark and silent it is below the earth's surface. The little girl, suddenly just enveloped in darkness, was frightened and began to cry. Immediately was heard the voice of her brother. Don't cry. Somebody here knows how to turn on the lights. Don't cry. Somebody here knows how to turn on the lights. In a real sense, that is the message of the gospel, you know? Light is available even when the darkness seems overwhelming. In our gospel reading today, we first find the disciples in the darkest moment of their lives. Their hopes, their dreams, their faith, their trust, their souls, everything had just been torn apart. Maybe you've been there, hurt so deeply that you just couldn't take 
anymore. No room left on your emotional plate. Maybe like them, just in just dispense in defense and despair, you've closed yourself off from the rest of the world and just locked the doors. Well, in the deepest darkness of the disciples' lives, all of a sudden, somebody was there that knew how to turn on the lights, and the lights came on. Jesus showed up. All of a sudden, Jesus was right there with them, and he says, peace be with you. That's a wonderful word. In Hebrew, the word is shalom, and it means peace in the deepest possible sense. Peace within, inner peace. Peace with God. Peace with everything that's going on around you. It can mean anything from high to may you be blessed in every possible way. It's a big word, deep word. And here, when Jesus says it in this setting, basically, I think you could say it means it's okay. It's okay. Everything is all right. Whatever else might come, it's all okay. Those words, coupled with his presence, let them know that they were okay with him, that they were okay with God, and they were okay with whatever else might be coming along. They had let him down. It was okay. They had failed. It was okay. They had disappointed him, but it was okay. They hadn't understood. It was okay. They were forgiven and they were reconciled with him and everything was all right. And then he tells them, as the father sent me, I also send you. Jesus never just comes to us and comforts us and leaves us in that spot. He always has a mission for each one of us. He comes to us, he saves us, and then he sends us into the world as transformed and different people. People who face the world differently than any other kind of people in this world. He tells them, as the Father sent me, I send you. And you can't tell it hearing it in English, but really, there in Greek, there are two different words for send that Jesus uses. The first word where he says, as the Father sent me, that's the word apostello. And that word means to send forth on an assignment or a mission. And then the second word where he says, I also send you, is another word totally different. It's the word pimpo. And that word means to send with a message. Like may you, you, you send to, like sometimes in your household, you'll speak to somebody and say, would you go tell so-and-so that dinner's ready? 
that would you would pimpo them if you did that you would send them with a message do you see that and yet if you sent them to the store that would be apostello you sent them with a job to do a mission to perform do you see the difference and yet he tells his disciples as the father sent me on a mission I send you with a message I send you and basically you see for us our mission is the message I know that whenever you saw that title last week, you probably said, what in the world does he mean? Our mission is the message. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he didn't send the people out into the world to battle social injustice, did he? He sent them out in the world with the gospel, with the good news that Jesus died so we could live Okay, the message that we are sent with has the power to bring forgiveness to sins, reconciliation with God, and eternal life if we share it. People only hear it when it is spoken. It's a message that has to be shared in order to be received. It cannot be just understood. Everything else for the church is meant to be secondary. The gospel is first. Helping people is second. The gospel is first. Feeding the poor is second. Helping the homeless is second. Doing good for other people is second. Sharing the gospel that can transform the lives of the people we're helping is first. And somehow the church has just moved away from our true mission, which is to get out the message. In fact, Quite a while back on the mission field, it became popular to say, well, we don't want to make rice Christians. We don't want to uh, feed people uh, and, 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 and share the gospel with them. We don't want them coming and worshiping and hearing the message just to get fed. We don't want to uh, uh, humiliate them by subjecting them or embarrassing them by talking about Jesus. That was, that was a rationale, and it has been a rationale in missions, in many uh, denominations, for many, many years now. But the thing is, the message needs to be shared. I can uh, remember when we were up in Texarkana, a church had been given a grant and they were opening a homeless shelter and uh, they were good. It was a wonderful concept. They were going to be providing a place for homeless people to be and to be fed as long as they needed to be there. I mean, it was a great concept, wonderful concept. But uh, I asked 
They were inviting our church to come on board and provide soldiers and workers. And so I asked, I said, so now how are we going to be sharing the gospel with them? So, oh, no, we're not going to do that. And it turns out that this church was making it a policy that Jesus' name wasn't supposed to be mentioned. All we're going to do, we, we, we're, we're just going to be taking care of these people. We're just going to be doing this for them. Well, let me tell you, if uh, oh, somebody is fed spiritually, if they're given the gospel and they're given food, they get fed, right? And they may get to go to heaven if they receive the message. If you just feed them, you're just helping them stay alive another day. To share the gospel gives an eternal aspect to their lives and can make all the difference in the world. Just feeding them doesn't help them improve their lives in any shape, form, or fashion. And the church has forgotten in many, many realms that the mission, our mission, is the message. To get the message out. Our mission is to spread the word of his redemption throughout the world. It has power. Jesus' mission of redemption isn't something that we're to duplicate. His role as the Son of God to redeem the world to himself on the cross is a once-for-all event, and that's what we're supposed to celebrate every time that we take communion. And every time we celebrate communion, we're celebrating the gospel that Jesus came and there was a place on his cross when he died for you. That everything you may feel that God is holding against you, it's okay because he paid the price. Shalom. We receive it when we take communion. Some people don't understand it, but they love to take communion, but they couldn't really tell you why. It's because we experience his presence and his peace when we receive it. We experience shalom in a very real way. It's important to recognize, however, that we're sent in the same way that Jesus was sent. And that means that we are under orders just as Jesus was. We don't bring our own message. We can't, we're not allowed to tinker with the message and fine tune the message. We're charged to bring it accurately and clearly. Now, sometimes we're tempted to water down parts of the message that are difficult for the world to receive and they might tell you they find it offensive. But contrary to what some people think, we do not have the freedom to alter the message to make it more palatable. You see, it's not our message. It's his message. The Father sent Jesus. And now Jesus sends us on this holy relay team. And we are to pass on this responsibility to those who follow us and teach others that they're supposed to be passing the message on as well. 
as Paul put it, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. And then he tells Timothy, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, John talks specifically about the sending. Each of the other gospels add details to this great commission. In Mark, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. In Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The message we're entrusted with is a wonderful message. It is wonderful. I love what A.B. Simpson was reported to have said about the gospel. It tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied, that sin has been atoned for, that the judgment of the guilty may be revoked, that the condemnation of the sinner canceled, the curse of the law blotted out, the gates of hell closed, the portals of heaven opened wide, the power of sin subdued, the guilty conscience healed, the broken heart comforted, the sorrow and misery of the fall undone. Let me tell you this. The good news that we have been entrusted to share makes a world of difference and it makes a difference in the world. Here's what I mean. Charles Bradlaugh was an avowed, staunch unbeliever. He once challenged the Reverend H.P. Hughes to a debate. The preacher who was head of a rescue mission in London, England, accepted the challenge with the condition that he could bring with him 100 men and women who would tell what had happened in their lives since trusting Christ as their Savior. They would be people who once lived in deep sin, some having come from poverty-stricken homes caused by the vices of their parents. Hugh said they would not only tell of their conversion, but would also submit to cross-examination by any who doubted their stories. Furthermore, the minister invited his opponent, Charles Bradlaugh, to bring a group of non-believers who could tell how they were helped by their lack of faith. When the appointed day came, the preacher came, accompanied by 100 transformed men and women. But Bradlaugh never showed up. The result? The meeting turned into a testimony time, and many of the sinners who'd gathered to hear this debate were converted. Brothers and sisters, we have a message 
for those who are living in darkness. And that message is, there's somebody here who knows how to turn on the lights. And his name is Jesus. That's a message that you can share anytime you're with anyone who's in any sort of darkness. There's somebody here who can turn on the light. His name is Jesus. Don't be afraid to share that message. It's a message that brings life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.